0: And for our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to Romans chapter 8, and we'll read the entire chapter, Romans chapter 8. I'll begin a short series on just the last verses in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39, beginning this morning. So, Romans chapter 8. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. And peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh you will die. But if by this Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of this Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart's knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom he predestined These he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and further is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This far, our scripture reading for this morning. And I'll read again verses 31 and 32, which should be the focus for this morning. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Dear congregation, this morning I wanted to begin a short series on these last verses of Romans 8, and considering especially what uh, Paul says concerning Christ and his intercession in the end of verse 34, who also makes intercession for us. It wasn't that long ago that we were looking at the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest, and the sacrifices that he brought, and who he was as our high priest without sin, the faultless one and who he was as a sacrifice, but uh, continuing on in his work as high priest, he also intercedes. The high priest would take the sacrifice into the tabernacle, the, the, the blood, and, and bring it to the altar in the Holy of Holies, and Christ also, as we will see, uh, is now in heaven, interceding as our high priest before the throne of God. And so Christ not only merited that salvation for his people, he not only fulfilled all righteousness, living a perfect life. He not only paid for that sin debt, but he now is also interceding in heaven. He does not leave the work of salvation to his people now, but he ensures that his work will also be accomplished in the hearts of his people. And so Christ is there in heaven, and as Paul says he. who He calls, He justifies, and then He glorifies. So Christ continues that work until His people are glorified in eternity with Him. And so the full and complete salvation of God's people is found in Christ, and the one who is now interceding on their behalf. Their assurance, their salvation is all found in Him. And yet in this life, As we have come here and as we've sung in somebody's songs, often the experience of the believer is much different than what Paul paints for us here. So often there are so many afflictions, so many doubts, and so many fears. And and we can ask these questions and say, well, if God is for me, then why am I walking in such darkness? Or why are these things happening? Or why is, is there so much affliction? Why these troubles? Why these trials? Why these distresses? And maybe you wonder even, where is God? Or is God really for me? Or how can I meet God when I see so much sin in my life and in my heart and I feel so distant from Him? Well, Isaiah encourages God's people in Isaiah 50 and says, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of a servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? He says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on upon his God. And that's what Paul is directing us here to as well, to rely on this God. Because what have you and I been resting on in this past week? What are we resting on? What are we groping for to hold ourselves up when we feel ourselves pressed down by these burdens and cares of this life? Jesus himself told us, he says, in me you may have peace. And that's what we all want. And yet the very next sentence, Paul or Jesus says, in this world you shall have tribulation. Peace and tribulation seemingly going together. But he says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And that's what John points us to as well. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. It's by faith in this Lord Jesus Christ, who Himself has overcome, that God's people overcome. They overcome the doubts, the fears, the troubles, the oppression, the persecution, whatever it is, as Paul mentions, they overcome. And Paul concludes in verse 37, And he says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through Christ who now intercedes for his people. He says we're more than conquerors no matter what it is that you face in this world. So the question today is, how can we have the same confession and same conclusion that Paul has? That if God is for us, who can be against us? And so, Paul here is leading us not only to see what Christ has done, but what Christ is doing now as he also makes intercession for us. And so, our theme this morning for this morning's sermon is Christ interceding for us. Christ interceding for us. We'll look first at Paul's conclusion here. In verse 31, he says, What shall we say then to these things? Paul here, he's, been, he's referring back probably not only to Romans 8 but to his whole epistle of Romans, everything he's been explaining about sin and justification and the sanctification of the sinner, and he says, what can we then say to all these things? What can we conclude from this all? He says here in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? You be asked these four questions here now. Yes, four questions here. The first is, who can be against us? In verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Verse 34, who is he that condemns? And verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If God is for us. And Paul's conclusion is that there's nothing in this world that can separate us. And from God, nothing that can be against us if God is for us. But what is our conclusion? Do we have that same thought in our heart and mind? Because isn't that the biggest struggle in our in our life? Even even many of God's children struggle with these questions, these doubts. You think of Jacob in Genesis forty-two. He thought Joseph was dead. Simeon had been imprisoned in Egypt, and now he wanted to take Benjamin to Egypt. And what does Jacob say? He says, all these things are against me. You think of Job. His children died when that storm hit the house. The thieves, the robbers, the storms destroyed his whole farm. His, his wife was telling him to curse God and die. He said his relatives forsook him. He said the children passing by would ridicule him. He said everyone turned against him. And yet we know from the rest of the book of Job that Job did not deny God or did not turn against God. But the psalmist also often, Psalm 41 verse 7, All they that hate me whisper against me. Psalm 56, All their thoughts are against me for evil. And how often do we think that way? Everything is against me. That's often our conclusion, isn't it? And if we start thinking that way, then we it leads us to the next conclusion: is that to say that God is against me? But but Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Then nothing can prevail against us. So how can we see the same things, these things, in the same perspective that Paul? Sees them. How can we come to this conclusion? Well, first we do need to see our need for Christ as our mediator, as our intercessor. Because it is true that how do we begin in this world? God is against us. Paul is trying to show here the great comfort. And the blessedness of the believer who has Christ as your interceding high priest. But when we think of all the things that come against us in this world, it all comes to oppose, doesn't it? It opposes what seems to be good. It all comes to take away everything that we consider to be good in our lives, or it comes to bring something bad. You think of sickness, you think of war, thieves enemies. They all come to destroy, to bring something evil and to take away something good. That's that's how we perceive it. These are the things that cause us to fear. These are the things we don't want to happen in our life. And yet, this is not our greatest problem. All these things are not our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is God and our sin against God. Because if because if God is against us because of our sin, then nothing can be for us. If the eternal wrath of God, God comes upon us because of our sin, then all these calamities in this world are insignificant to that wrath of God that will fall upon us. And so this means that we first need to learn to see First, we need to see our need for Christ as our mediator, as our intercessor before God on our behalf to stand between us and the Holy God. Because we confess we are sinners deserving of punishment. Scripture tells us in many places that we are born and conceived in sin at enmity with God. And if we are at enmity with God, God is at enmity with us. His wrath against us because of our sin. Outside of Jesus Christ, God is a consuming fire. Recently, we considered the story of Noah and the flood. What happened there? There was no one to intercede for the world at that time, no one who came to stand between God and the people who were destroyed. But in Genesis 6, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man that it was very great, that every intent of the heart was only evil continually. And the Lord said, I will destroy the man whom I've created. And he told Noah, and he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy this world. And he told Noah to build the ark. But there was no interceding, no pleading for the people. A little further in history, we see Abraham, as the angels came to him when Lot was living in Sodom, and God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we see Abraham pleading with God, and he says, will you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there's 50 righteous people there? God says, no. What if there's only 10? And God says, no, but there was none. There was only one righteous man, Lot. And the Lord took him out of Sodom and then destroyed Sodom. There was no one to stand in defense of that city. Later on we read about Moses in Exodus 32. You remember the story of Israel when they had sinned with the golden calf. They had provoked God to anger and worship him in a way that God had forbidden. In Exodus 32 verse 10, God says, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them and I'll make of you a great nation. But here Moses pleaded on behalf of the people that the Lord would turn from his anger. He pleaded the promises that God had made to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. He pleaded on God's own name and God's own honor that he would spare the people whom he had raised up. In verse 32, Moses interceded for them. And it says, yet now if you will forgive their sins, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Moses begins to intercede for the people to to stand between them and God's wrath. He wanted to take their place. He wanted God to, to take his life instead of the people's life. He wanted to be their substitute. In Psalm 106, it writes about Moses that it says that Moses stood in the breach. He stood in the gap between God and the people. But Moses could not take the place of the people because he himself was also a sinner. Abraham could not take the place of the people in Sodom. Noah could not avert the destruction of the flood. So then we see, secondly, why Christ intercedes. Because Moses did not die for the people he could not, but Christ did. Christ did take the punishment for sinners. He did take the punishment instead of his people when he died on the cross under the wrath of God. And Christ is the mediator who stood in that breach between you and the holy God. The only reason the world exists is because Christ and the only one who could stand there is, is the Lord Jesus, who is both God and man, who could stand between God and the people who had sinned. And so Paul says here in verse 32, He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This intercessor Christ first took the punishment and faced God's wrath for his people. Romans five says, For when we were still without strength, Christ died for the ungodly, for sinners, for the rebellious. Christ stood in the gap. Christ was not spared under the wrath. Of God, just like the world was not spared in the days of Noah, but utterly destroyed is what that means. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. What did God really sacrifice? What can describe what God did in Christ? Because maybe we can understand some of the reasons why God destroyed the world with a flood. Because of the great wickedness. We can understand why He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone because of its great wickedness. We can even understand and even pray for and want to see God's justice upon the wicked in this world who oppress His people. Because Psalm 94, we sang it too, how long will the wicked triumph? But how do we comprehend what God did in Christ? He spared no expense when He delivered up His own Son for us all. God gave His all when He gave a Son. His Son who had no sin. His only begotten Son. And He gave Him not for for friends, but for enemies. Not for people who loved God, but people who had enmity with God and who hated God. He did not spare His justice. He did not go easy on the Son, but His his full wrath was poured out upon Him. He did not withhold anything. He did not lighten the punishment because it was His only begotten Son. God did not spare His own Son. And if God did not spare His own Son, that means that He paid for sin to the very last penny when he stood in the gap as the mediator, he drank that cup of God's wrath to the very last drop. That he took that full punishment of God against sin, and he satisfied God's justice perfectly to the very last drop. He paid that price fully. And if Christ fully satisfied the justice of God, that means, Then now there is nothing outstanding in Christ, nothing owing, not a drop left in a cup, not a penny left to pay. And because this sacrifice was so perfect and complete, Christ rose from the dead and now intercedes at the right hand of His Father, which we'll look at more in the later verses. But then thirdly, we see that if Christ is your intercessor now, that He stands between you and God, that instead of God being against you, as He was against Sodom and Gomorrah and against the world before the flood, instead of God having already destroyed you now for your sins, when you believe in Christ, because of Christ's finished work and because of His intercession now, God is then for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? If Christ has so fully satisfied God's justice and turned His anger away, then all those who are in Christ are accepted in the Beloved, are received by God, are justified, as we will, he considers later on, are adopted into his family. And then, if you are in Christ, if God is for us, who can be against us? You see the opposite extremes. And then it says, if Christ, the fourthly, if Christ intercedes for you, and then God freely also gives you all things. Because Paul says, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God already gave his all in Christ. That means everything that he gives to his people now is insignificant compared to what he's already given in Christ. Now those are just the after benefits, the side blessings you could say if God has already given you His best and is all in Christ, then you know that everything you receive now comes from the fatherly hand of God to His children. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, James 1 says. And this is why the Lord Jesus said in Luke 12, Do not fear what man can do to you, But fear Him who, after He kills the body, has power to cast you into hell. But if God is for us, who can be against us? Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. Psalm 56, in God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. That's what Paul is saying here. If God is for us, what can man do to us? that means that there's nothing in this world that God gives you that is against you. Because it comes from the God who is for you. That even though things that appear to be against us, that feel to be against us, that make it seem like God has forsaken us, that God in fact is against us, are actually being given by the loving hand of God the Father. He's already given Christ. He did not spare Christ his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he then not also freely give us all things with him? Means everything for body, mind and soul, spiritual and physical blessings, all gifts freely given. That's why Jesus says in Luke 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will the Father, your Heavenly Father, give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Is that not a spiritual blessing? That God gives because of Christ proceeding from the Father and the Son. In verse 14, and Paul says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. God gives his Holy Spirit to give life, to give eternal life, to give assurance of faith, to give the faith and to give the strengthening of the faith and to give all that is needed. And if Christ intercedes for you, if God is for you, then nothing can be against you. Christ is standing there in the gap now between you and the Holy God. Christ pleads your case before the Father because then you are His and God is for you if you are in Christ. And then fifthly, the benefit of Christ interceding for you. If these questions are Constantly in our hearts, am I His? Am I right with God? Is, is, is He for me? Will He spare me from that eternal destruction? Because, As we said earlier, many, many believers still wrestle with these questions because we see so much of our sin, so much of our guilt. We realize that we're not who we are supposed to be. of such a lack of comfort and assurance often. What is there in this world that God does not give? He gives His Spirit to witness with your spirit, He says, that you may know that you are His, that you are His children, heirs with, joint heirs with Christ. And will God then not hear you for the sake of Jesus Christ? Because the question then is, are you resting here? Are you resting in the Lord Jesus Christ to be heard for his sake? Do you see the power, the efficacy, the effective work of Christ as your intercessor? As the only way. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work through his intercession now that we can come to the Father. And so it is, Paul will go on in these further questions to describe how, where we can see more of how God justifies the sinner. But even now, there is these promises, even for, not only for God's people, but also for those who yet find themselves falling short of this mark. Those who have these questions in their heart or to realize that they do not yet know Christ, they have not yet come to Christ, they, they do not yet have this access to the Father. For the Scripture says in 1 John 4, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. As Paul said here, He who did not spare His own Son. This is the manifestation of God's love for His people. That He gave His Son that the world might live through Him. And Hebrews 7 says about Christ as the intercessor. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. He's able to save to the furthest extent. There's nothing that could stand between you and God if Christ is there as your intercessor. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so Christ is still there interceding today for sinners to come to God through Him. Because it was while we were sinners that Christ died for the ungodly. Christ had merited this work and intercedes now even before His people come to Him because it's even through his interceding work that he sends the Spirit to give life to the dead. And so now is the time to call upon him to seek the Lord while it is still the day of salvation. And so he says, come to God through the interceding high priest today. And for those who know Christ, who have fled to him for refuge, and yet can still be so burdened and troubled you can know that when you flee to christ when you are in him then god is for us and if god is for us who can be against us and then whatever might trouble and burden us in this life we can we can come to, to him and know that he has not forsaken us nor forgotten us but in everything that comes into our life whether good or bad in our eyes is also given for the good of his people from his fatherly hand and we hope to see more of that in these coming verses and so call upon him today whether the first whether for your first time or again because Christ ever lives to make intercession for transgressors amen